listening to The Good Fight, where campus meets Christ. Hello, hello. I am Grace Lita. And greetings. I'm Timothy. And welcome back to The Good Fight. I'm excited to be here. Oh, me three. Um, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about, you know, the interaction between the American church and the global church, which I'm excited about. It's, a, it's an interesting topic. There's a lot to cover. It's also something I haven't thought about until very recently in my life. I think same, but part of that, I wonder if it's because when you're a kid, you don't have a large conception of the world besides mm. what you experience. I don't know. I mean, that's when you're learning about... I think you have less experience with the world, although you're learning arguably more about the world. You know, you yeah. take your classes on global geography and everything. My global geography is still very terrible. My mom did not know where the Mediterranean Sea was. Oh. I mean, I'm probably just, like, barely above her. (laughs) Yeah, you get to, like, some of the countries in South America just start getting jumbled together. I could not do my country's tests right now. Not at all. But I've got Mexico, and, you know, I feel like that's most important to me. (laughs) Uh, We got it. Yeah, you know, is what it is. And then the African countries, too, I have a hard time with. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think I ever learned the African countries that well. See, look what what I'm saying. We just, poor American education. Um, But I do, because I I think the first time I really considered the global church was when my cousin went to be a missionary. Mm. um, And she was in the stands. But I, I feel like that, too. That's the way that most of us experience the global church. Yeah. Growing up is... It's missionary, right? So we'll probably talk about this a little bit very soon. And we've talked about it before, but the idea that while the American church is kind of on the decline in in comparison to the global church. Oh, yeah. I mean, like in terms of just even literally just the number of Christians, right. there's what, 150 million in the States and there's something like 300 million in Africa. Obviously, yeah. that's not a country, but, but you know. Right. Um, but But even then... Regardless of numbers, it's about, you know, like the the derivative of the line and like the yeah. rate of change and everything. <laughs> Good math skills there, yeah. I did learn calculus. You take a derivative with respect to whatever your variable is. In this case, the marginal growth of Christian, Christianity, yeah. Christians. I don't know how you want to define it. But yeah, no, I think that is interesting that our perspective is warped by. Mm-hmm. It's It's... Mission. It's like we think of the global world as still just a missions field. Yeah. Although I will admit, I've gotten the other side of it because my dad grew up in across Latin America mm-hmm. and he went to a bunch, like when he was growing up, he went to a bunch of, um, of missionary schools because mm. they were, I mean, in a lot of areas, they were kind of the best academic schools. And so he went to a bunch of them. And so I've grown up with his perspective and he did not have particularly good experiences at a lot of the missionary churches some of them he does he's a big fan of one Mennonite um school that he was taught English at when he Mm -hmm. was a wee one of what six years old that's probably the only missionary run school though that my father has fond memories of wow which I think definitely colored the way I thought about missions Mm. because I grew up hearing my dad like very critical right because Mm -hmm. he you know, saw the side of it as a local, saw the side of it, like, not being productive and not being good. Mm. And so I think that does 
I think that got provided a unique context in that light, which is good. Because otherwise you're right. I think the way that churches kind of present missions trips are very much like, oh, we are bringing the gospel to these right. unreached peoples. And, and, and I mean, that is the case most of the time. They are reaching unreached peoples. But it that warps our perspective of the entire globe in thinking that outside of the West, the rest of the world is still an unreached people. Right, yeah. Which is... It's not the case. It's not the case. And one thing, one thing that actually surprised me a lot in coming to Colombia was realizing just how diverse Christianity is. You know, growing up in the Midwest, I didn't see any diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming to Colombia, I was surprised at the number of like first and second generation African Christians who immigrated to the United States or international African Christians and then, in particular, South Korean Christians. I got my mind is just still blown by the numbers that I experience at Columbia because that was something I never experienced in the Midwest. That's actually kind of awesome to have your like kind of get have an experience of it being such a mixing pot of right to actually experience a sense of yeah. global unity. That's cool. Instead of just Midwestern Christianity. <laughs> yeah. Not that I have anything against Midwesterners. I I love the Midwest. No, but it is cool to see. I mean, like, it's very much Christ's point about there being no Jew or Gentile coming mm-hmm. right. coming together, right? Where you really do get to see this idea of, of Christianity crossing cultural bounds and mm-hmm. getting to unite in, in kind of praising God together. Despite, and I think this goes back to kind of, I mean, we talked about many weeks, or I don't know how long ago, many weeks ago, I think, about... Um, the idea of like experiencing a different way of worshiping God and, you know, having right. to get used to it. And I think yeah. this definitely speaks to that. Of mm-hmm. There's there's beauty in the fact that you get to experience, you know, different ways of worshiping God that you wouldn't otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope, go for it. Oh, well, I was going to transition into more of a structure here. So we've talked a little bit about um, misperceptions of the global church mm-hmm. from the American perspective. This, this article by Chris Nye, I looked him up. He's a pastor in San Francisco, Silicon Valley area. I was reading through his church a little bit. I thought it was pretty good. Um, he has this article. And on this, this group, this organization, IMB, is actually a Southern Baptist missions group. And it, the article is, To find hope for the American church, look outside America. And so... He kind of starts off the article by talking about how Americans are perceived in an African perspective. Mm -hmm. And he uses this word, and I don't know how to pronounce it. Mzungu? I don't know. That's probably not correct. M-Z-U-N-G-U. Yeah, I have no idea. But what it means is, well, he says... uh, it, it means like one who wanders aimlessly. And he said, the reason why this word is applied to kind of white missionary Christians in Africa is because when they came in like the 18th, 19th, 20th centuries, they were very like work driven. Mm-hmm. And so they would just kind of sit in one place and work in that yeah. one area. So I, I thought that was fascinating. You should look up this article and read it. 
Yeah, so he starts by kind of looking at specifically the church churches in, in the Silicon Valley and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I guess problems you could say within the Silicon Valley churches mm-hmm. um, as he's experienced them. Well, and he, he also takes that a step further to say this isn't a problem just with Silicon Valley. It's that Silicon Valley has become America or America has become more Silicon Valleyized in how our culture operates. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I think it, I think it goes both yeah, I think it goes both ways, but maybe we should start with the problem that he recognizes. Yeah, and so that the problem stems from that word. It's, you know, wandering aimlessly in one spot. The the origin of the, the word is to spin in circles. Mm-hmm. And and he seems to say that that come kind of comes from within the Silicon Valley you have this idea of people being very tightly wound. Yeah. Spinning in <laughs> tightly round and very much overworked. Uh, there is this yeah. like work based, achievement based ethic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that he he quotes or in a quote he says like in Silicon Valley the pressure is always on. Um, is there a way out of the relentless push for more? That's kind of the question he's asking. Col- Columbia, what? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think about you can really think about any academic institution right yeah. of this idea of seeking striving for more mm-hmm. um i think it's very much even based in in american culture in general right and and that's what i was saying earlier with america has become silicon valleyized um, or i think maybe as, a better, better way of saying it, it is that the silicon valley inization that he's describing is a little microcosm of like or a little like example of american it's like an amplified example of american Ampl- culture yeah, yeah yeah no that's a good way of putting it so one thought i had is what are the problems with that approach with the silicon valley work ethic and what are not problems with it because i think i think it could go either way well i think to begin it's not the gospel <laughs> <laughs> true um i think the gospel is very much anti-works-based achievements, right? Mm-hmm. Um, very much rooted at the core is the idea that you can't save yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't save yourself. It's only through Christ. Like, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only... Like, there's no way to the Father, God, except through Christ, right. right? And so there's this idea that goes very much against this idea of working really, really hard to get you to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the baseline, of where I think it really starts to go wrong. It also, I think, um, makes idols super yes. apparent. Not apparent, maybe apparent. Everyone has idols, but the idea that the specific idols are like money, health, wealth, mm-hmm. money and wealth. Success. Success, fame. fame. You know, exactly. It's um, And I think that, do you mind if I transfer over to talking about like Amer- um, prosperity gospel? Yeah, but I, I do want to come back and talk about what are some not problems. Okay. Like what? What are what good can we still take out of this Silicon Valley approach? Okay, I'm going to continue going off the negatives first, though. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, and I think that idea of making idols out of out of all those things very much is kind of the um, root of of prosperity gospel, right? Because mm-hmm. prosperity gospel takes takes the Bible and basically instead of um, the truth that we are guaranteed nothing like nothing in this earth Mm -hmm. by God. We are not guaranteed fame. We are not guaranteed wealth. Like in fact, we are guaranteed persecution. Um, And it takes, takes those, 
Well, oh, I guess the important part is what we are guaranteed is eternal life. We are guaranteed the greatest gift there ever could be. But it takes kind of verses about what the greatest gift is and reframes them to no longer be talking about something like eternal life Mm -hmm. and instead be talking about, you know, wealth or fame or health. And um, obviously that's a huge, huge problem within American churches is combating prosperity gospel. Yeah. Like the name it, name it and claim it movements. <laughs> they're so intertwined with, I think, a lot of American Americans' conception of church mm-hmm. that it is very hard to combat. Like it's hard to combat those ideas. Um, and so those are the negatives. Oh, and and maybe an additional negative is those have started to impact other other yeah, churches it's, globally it's, now. Yeah, it's, it's it's it has not only kind of a wound that has festered and grown. grown. Yeah, grown in the petri dish in America. It's also kind of crossed borders and gone out into the world i do want to on the prosperity gospel i have two uh two recommendations of of things you can engage with first is american gospel Um, it's called in christ alone and then it's semicolon or colon american gospel yeah or maybe it's the other way around is that the second one no it's one it's one and the same in Christ alone, American gospel. Oh, well, there's two of them. They're both quite long. I watched the first one and it was mind blowingly good. I bet if I watched it again, I would, I would think it was even better. Cause I think I've developed a lot since the last time I watched it. That's besides the point though. Oh, I take it back. It's the other way around. It's American gospel. And then it's Christ alone is the first one. And then American gospel Christ crucified is the second one. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched the second one yet, but I can't really excited to. I know. I know. <laughs> So that's my first culture recommendation. My second one is actually another song by Shailin, like my boy. Uh, it's called False Teachers. And that one is about um, the prosperity gospel mm. in particular. So those are my recommendations for things to, nice. to engage with. No, I, I would like to second and third American gospel because, oh quality at the first one has jackie hill perry in it like it's got all the good people uh, <laughs> and i think it does a very it's a it's pretty critical yeah um like and very it, critical and it's script it's scriptural too yeah it's, it's not just a bunch of people talking down other people right yeah i think it's done pretty lovingly mm-hmm. um obviously if you are a big fan of some of the preachers they talk about um you might not think it's quite as loving but I mean, I actually genuinely do think they are approaching it out of love, mm-hmm. um, and they do a good job. Okay, so that does that cover our topic of Pros- prosperity yeah, gospel? I think so. We could go on. We could do a whole other episode on prosperity gospel. We could, but we won't. Maybe we will. Yeah. I don't know. So, so what, back to benefits. Yeah. What goods do you see in the Silicon Valley? I mean, obviously, as a as a whole, as its own approach, it's bad. But what good things exist within it that we can apply that that is not necessarily bad to apply to our lives? Well, I mean, I think within if you're working within the American culture, um, I think the idea of, of working isn't inherently wrong. In fact, God, like God gave us work from the very beginning in the mm-hmm. Garden of Eden. What were they doing? They were tending and taking care of take tending and taking care of the world. Right. Um, and that's before sin, before sin, they were working right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this idea that work itself isn't sinful. Um, the, the feelings we might get now from work because of sin, that's like, that's, it's been corrupted. Um, where, I mean, you should not 
feel drained from your entire being because of work. Mm-hmm. Like you should not be spending your entire life working. There's a reason why there's rest. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of working hard is not inherently something that's bad. Um, it's when working hard becomes the idol. Yeah. That's when it becomes right. bad. And I think, I think actually applying the gospel to your own life is a way to ease the burden of work, right? When work is your, when work is your idol, it's always about achieving. Mm-hmm. It's always about achieving more and more. But when work isn't the idol and you realize that by work, you only achieve what God desires for you to achieve, right? And that it is a gift from God, then you, yeah. the work becomes a good in itself, right? You find enjoyment in the act of working as opposed to... And you can find rest in your work too. Right, yeah. And that, I think when you find rest in your work is when you really hit the sweet spot mm-hmm. of Garden of Eden-esque. <laughs> Still sums it in there, but I think that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to always working to achieve mm-hmm. and yeah. not being guaranteed achievement. Yeah, exactly. So that's the American church. That is the American church. Although that's more America, and a lot of that has seeped into the American church. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point, actually. Because it, it's, it's, not, it's certainly not universal within America. Right, exactly. Or the church, at least. And I think in addition to that is that Obviously, one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that it does transcend cultures. Mm -hmm. And so there are certain things about the way that the gospel might manifest itself in American culture is going to inherently be different than the way it manifests itself in a different culture. And that's not to say that one of those is holier or more beautiful. (laughs) Um, It is to say that, I mean, in a way, the fact that the gospel manifests itself in different ways, Mm -hmm. depending on the culture, makes it beautiful more beautiful together like their unity is beautiful yeah it's many tribes nations and many tribes tongues and nations not just one homogenous group Mm -hmm. Um, exactly although i think we do need to reconcile that with there is now neither jew nor gentile right it's not that it's not that we aren't one people it's that we're not one homogenous people. Yeah. Yeah, which is why, I mean, I think I think to a certain extent, um, something like, okay, one of the reasons I like Christian fellowships on college campuses, mm-hmm. I don't think they're the church, disclaimer. <laughs> I mean, they are, they are made up of the church, but they are not a church, right? Intentionally. Well, we could have a whole episode we on could. what church means. But I'm just going to start this for now and we can discuss it later. My... What I'm asserting right now is that Christian fellowships are not churches. They're not meant to be churches. I would say they're clearly not churches. You never have communion. That's debated, but I think it's pretty clear. Um, They are, however, made up of the body Mm -hmm. of the church. And the beautiful thing about that is that unlike churches, where I think it's easy for people to kind of go to a church that they enjoy, you know, or that resonates with them, Mm -hmm. right? So the fact that... Um, the, someone's going to a Baptist church instead of a uh, Episcopalian church instead of a Methodist church instead of a um, Presbyterian church instead of a Pentecostal church, right? Like people are able to kind of self-select into mm-hmm. a... This is specifically within America, though, or within, well, America, and it depends on your country and denominations, but, you know, whatever. Like you're not going to have the uh, 
Church of England very often in the United States. Are there any Church of Englands in the uh, United States? Probably some, yeah. Probably, I don't know. Um, but there is this idea of more like self-selection in a way that because on college campuses there are generally, generally fewer mm-hmm. um, fellowships, you get to experience the blending more. Yeah, and the ones that exist are not denominational. Right. Well, are you? Mo- mostly. <laughs> and, well, and that's not really denominational as much as it's, it just is... Um, it's it, form, it, has, it, it has more doctrine. Well, it's formed out of a denomination. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, that was a tangent, but I liked it because I got to talk about how beautiful church fel- or uh, campus fellowships are. So then do we want to move through? Yeah, kind of transitioning a little bit back to what we were talking about in the beginning about kind of misperceptions mm-hmm. of Americans on what, well, at least for us, of the global church. And... In light of the fact that the Western church is on the decline and the global church is on the incline, Mm -hmm. how do we kind of reform our thinking, especially given the, I don't want to say problems, but, you know, the specific tendencies that our culture can have towards idols? Yeah, I think, well, the one thing I liked that Chris and I brought up as his very first point was this idea of looking towards other churches yeah. and other cultures yeah. mm-hmm. um, and letting yourself be taught and like mentored and grown by them mm-hmm. um, kind of away from from our struggles or maybe not away from but through our struggles like being mentored by other churches through our struggles mm-hmm. which I thought was a really beautiful way of thinking about the church universal. He has this great quote here that I love. He says, America has long thought of itself as the center of Christianity, but over the past 20 years, this has become no longer the case. The good news, however, good news, think gospel there. The good news, however, is it means we can take second chair in the symphony of God's church, allowing stronger, wiser leaders from other cultures to lead us and influence influence us away from the bazungu living and over-politicization. Yeah. I think it's true. And I think especially because we do have access to things like the internet now, right? There's mm-hmm. an ability to do so in a way that we haven't had before. Yeah. Um, you're able to have global conversations in a way that, you know, historically... From, from your living room. Right. Yeah, exactly. And Instantaneously. Anyone can, right? It doesn't have to be... I mean, historically, most inter continental communication was pretty restricted Mm -hmm. in terms of one what conversations you're having and who and two who was having those conversations Mm -hmm. um and now because of the beauty of the interwebs it's like we are able to to engage with with others in a way that we weren't before Mm -hmm. and i think i think this is more like a an appeal to how we think of ourselves Mm um you know it it's it's to say you know we don't have to be number one which is i mean that's that's the silicon valley approach applied to the just the whole idea of what america is right it's this idea that oh you know we've worked the hardest and we're like at the top of the world yeah it's Um, very much a a, a, um requesting us to be humble (laughs) yeah i I wanted to request isn't really the best word but uh it's all it's i mean it really is a rebuke right it's Uh a rebuke of i'd say appeal like an appeal to humility yeah, but, but what's required, like, the criticism towards us is is more than appeal, I think. Oh, I guess the whole concept is appealing to humility. But I think yeah. the actual request is 
a rebuke. A rebuke. Yeah. 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 And I think that that follows into his second point about how our, he says, his second point is our fundamental posture about these countries mentioned above and others must change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really is, that really does go hand in hand with that, the, the humility. Right. This is, this is transitioning from think of ourselves less mm-hmm. and to think of others more. Yeah. And I think, um, oh, that's actually this, all three points here are really deeply intertwined. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and throw the third one on there as well. He says, receiving help, teaching, and leadership from other countries reminds us of our faith's true history, right? This idea that, you know, the West has dominated Christianity for the last 1,500 years-ish. But before that, think St. Augustine, right? This is North African mm-hmm. locus, starting in Jerusalem in the Middle East, spreading first through Greece before you even hit Rome. So there is this global history that we have that's not America. Yeah. Uh, I mean, think about it. America hasn't even been around for 300 years yet. So, but what I really love from this third point is he talks about bringing teachers from the global church into America to teach us. Yeah. Um, and I think, I will say it, it is particularly disheartening to me that I cannot name a single African theologian that is alive today. I, like, I find that very disheartening, given the, the strength of Christianity in Africa um, and the, the influence that it will have over the next hundreds, thousands of years, depending on the future, of the church. Um, and I, I do feel like that is a particular problem with how we've seen America over the last few centuries. Yeah. Yeah. I feel very cold out there. I, I can't either. I was I was trying to think of someone when you said that, but I don't actually know, mm-hmm. which is sad. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe our goal after this will be to <laughs> find some people and link them. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like, I mean, it really, a lot of, um, this is actually, I think, I think it was maybe, I forget which, um, article I was reading it in it was in someone um that was talking about the the interaction between between Christian and or not I guess between different countries and theology and there was one of them that was making a it was kind of um criticizing the western church for focusing more on dead um oh I thought that was a funny point was it, it was, it's basically not dead but like dead heretics instead of um yeah dead, living right dead hair right heretic heretic heretics, who, heretics thank yeah, you dead thank heretics you. from like thousands of years ago instead of living theologians you know just across the ocean wait let me find the quote because it was it was oh yeah um here it is so it's in an article called moving from christendom to a global church by tim hartman and he wrote we feel dip- deeply affronted whether it is whether it is more meaningful, meaningful theologically to have academic fellowship with heretics long wait, how do you, heretics heretics thank you heretics long dead than with living brethren of the church today in the so-called third world mm-hmm. and I thought that was a very good point because although it is important to have conversations with um, previous like theological beliefs right because it's important to keep that discussion alive so you know i mean this sounds million but so you know 
why it is that your doctrine is correct. Right. But it's also incredibly important to be having conversations with those who are alive now. Right. Um, and he, I think he went on to talk about, he was like, if we are like, if we are making mistakes or if we are believing things that aren't correct, we, we need to be, oh, he was saying, he said, um, he called for Africans, um, and others in the developing world to interpret scripture for themselves and not blindly accept the teachings of the imperial Christendom, which I also thought was a funny point. Um, and, and I find that interesting uh, combining it with the other article to think of the Christianity that is per- pervasive in Africa is not necessarily the Christianity that exists in America today. Right. Because we've developed a lot since the major push for missions a couple hundred years ago. Maybe a better way of saying it was not necessarily developed, but we've changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Because... I think developed can maybe imply that it's been a good change. And I would say parts of it. Par- like yeah, <laughs> parts of it. Parts of it good. Parts of it not so good. Yeah, which makes, which is why I think that these conversations are even more important to be able to, you know, interact with, I mean, fellow brethren. Like they are mm-hmm. fellow believers and you need to be having conversations with fellow believers. Right. It makes me, it makes me want to go, <laughs> go on a global trip. Can it be an eating trip? Can we eat good food? And <laughs> an eating trip. Talk with Christians. <laughs> hey, I'm here. I think every trip should be a, should just be a food trip. Taste the cuisine. I guess. I don't know. I, I've never gone on an international trip or any any trip, trip really just for food. I mean, I did one and that was walking to uh, like 17th Street to get Korean food. Wow. That was my eating trip. Wow. It's tragic. We got to introduce you to, you know, more trips for food. Hey, it's that's great. Midwest, you know, there's not a lot of cultural. That's true. Food diversity true. out there. Well, I think this has been a good conversation. I've Is realized, there any other takeaways we want? Uh, well, I was just gonna say I've realized a lot of things about myself. Oh, and same. how and how I view Christianity. Actually, one of the thoughts I did have, and this was a couple of weeks ago, was. So if I decide to go to seminary, right, what if instead of staying in America, I went international and became a, a, like an interna- like a Western trained but international theologian? Like, I think that would be a, such a cool idea now. Like you went, some, you went international like it, right, for, if, for seminary. If I did seminary here and then became a theologian somewhere else. Why not go to seminary somewhere else? Uh, that's a it's a harder wow. one. <laughs> I think I'm I think I'm still too influenced by the allure of Western academics. Interesting. We should talk more about this. <laughs> I'm curious. I, I also, <laughs> I mean, to be completely honest again, I have no idea what seminaries exist outside of America. So, so you would go to seminary in the States and mm-hmm. then you would go where? Why? Wherever there's a need for theologians, right? I mean, Christianity is on the rise in Africa in Asia, not in Europe, <laughs> but you know, in, like in Africa and Asia, there has to be a need for educators there. But doesn't that still perpetuate the idea that you need to be educated in Western tradition? 
Not really. I think, it, I mean, there's a way I could view, there's a way that I could view it that way, that, but that's not the way I'm viewing it. Um, the way I'm viewing it more is I'd rather be trained in the West because that's what I enjoy. Oh, so like, like the same way as thinking about denominations. Like I'd rather go to a Presbyterian church instead of a Pentecostal church because I'm more comfortable with it. Yeah. Which I don't, you know, that could be, I don't think it's necessarily a problem. It could be a problem, but I definitely don't see it as, oh yeah, like only the West has the resources to train theologians and we still have to go to the global church and teach them. Yeah. I think things on my to-do list are to-do list. Find African theologians. And be find non-states based <laughs> seminary schools. Seminaries, I guess you don't have to call them seminary school. Yeah. Seminaries. That's on my list too. Yeah. Maybe we'll spend like the next twenty minutes doing that. Yeah. Maybe if we could find someone something in time, maybe I don't how do you put that on the we maybe we can put something in the description of Oh yeah. As long as we find something in the next two days. Oh, perfect. We'll see it we'll hope I mean now that we've said it we better. Um and if you guys know of people, please send us a message at either you can send us an email to witnessthegoodfight at gmail.com. You can also send us a DM on Instagram or Facebook um, at the Good Fight Pod. Yeah, I don't, we don't have our Twitter anymore. I, I took a breath there because I'm used to saying our Twitter as well. But please don't reach out to us on there. We don't. No one. I don't know why you would. No one's on there. You know, I had no idea what DM meant for like two Direct years. Direct message us. On Facebook or Instagram, for all the other Tims out there who don't know what DM means. <laughs> well, I did know what it was now, but I was just saying, from the first time I heard it to two years after that, I had no idea what it was. I can understand that. It's like an acronym that you're like, what? Yes, but please direct message us. We'd love it. And we would love good recommendations for pastors, for books, any of the above. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We hope you have a good week. Yeah. I hope everyone has a good week. See y'all next week then. Have a good week. Adios. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on The Good Fight, where campus meets Christ.